Good morning. That's the task, right? Show us Christ. Uh, If you're wondering what good preaching is, that's what it is. Showing people the true Jesus week after week. If you don't get that, then find someone else that will give it to you. And you can pray for me that I will do that even now as we consider anger from the book of Proverbs. But before we do that, uh, let me just again remind you about VBS this week. Please be in prayer for that. Thank you for the volunteers that are participating in that. Such a big deal. It's just a way in which we're trying to spread the gospel in our own community. Uh, But uh, let me go ahead and pray for us now as we open up God's Word and consider it. Lord, we do want to see Jesus. We're thankful that He has spoken to us, that He is not silent. He's spoken to us through the Word. And so now, God, we pray for those of us in this room that experience anger, which is all of us. So instruct us in the Word of Christ that we may reflect Christ and His anger to the world. Amen. Well, friends, we're taking this summer to teach, to preach from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is in the Old Testament, that first half of the section of the Bible. It's anticipating the arrival of Christ. And uh, most of Proverbs is written by King Solomon. Solomon's a king of Israel at the time. King Solomon's writing most of Proverbs, writing it to his son, so as to help his son navigate life inside of the covenant with the one true God, helping him understand how to live inside of it wisely. And so it's focused, Proverbs is focused on knowledge, but uh, as it is with wisdom, he's focused on knowledge applied. Knowledge applied. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom should never be confused with mere intelligence. Someone could be very bright and yet still be a fool. And vice versa. Someone may be unintelligent as it relates to academia, but very wise. One of the wisest people I ever knew had an 8th grade education. So this explains, friends, why we can live in an information age, have more degrees than Fahrenheit, and yet at the same time still lack a high level of wisdom. Because wisdom is knowledge applied. And specifically, it's God's knowledge, God's truth, God's wisdom applied. Thus, our definition of wisdom that we've been using, joyfully applying God's word for life. So Proverbs teaches us, as it relates to wisdom, that all of us are either walking down one of two paths, either we're walking down the path of wisdom, or we're walking down the path of folly. I wonder which one you're walking down. That's what Proverbs teaches us. Path of folly, which is foolishness, that leads to death. Jesus says most people are walking down that path. And then there's the path of wisdom that leads to life. It's narrow, it's hard, Jesus says, few are on that path. Wisdom begins with fear of the Lord. We've learned that. Begins with fear of the Lord. You don't have fear, this rejoicing and trembling before the holiness of God. If you don't have that fear of the Lord from the beginning, you start from the wrong place and you end up in the wrong place. But if you start with the fear of the Lord and you stay there, you experience it increasingly, this greatness of the glory of God. It begins to manifest more in your life than you'll wind up in places of truth, of life, of peace. 
So we've considered wisdom's teaching on a few things. We've considered so far this summer wisdom's teaching on decision-making, on sexuality, on money, on correction. This morning we'll consider on anger. Next week we'll consider on friendship and then on justice. And we'll be done there. But there are a few things more universal in our experience as human beings than anger, right? Whether we have anger or whether we give anger, all of us have experienced anger. And you may be surprised to know that we all should experience anger. In other words, if you're not experiencing anger in some way, something is not right, actually something is wrong. I'll show you that from Ephesians 4.26 as one example, where it says, Be angry and do not sin. Thus the command, be angry. And as we will see, right, it was not uncommon for Jesus Christ, the most righteous of all, no one righteous like him, was regularly angry. And so we must be angry, but we must not sin in our anger. And there's the problem when it comes to anger. Too often we do sin, too often we do cultivate death in our anger. We do cultivate folly in our anger. And so today we will learn how to be both good and angry as we seek to apply wisdom to our anger. So we'll do that by asking and answering six questions. Here's the first. What is anger and why do we do it? What is anger? Why do we do it? Now, Proverbs doesn't answer this question explicitly, so we'll need to get some help from some other places in Scripture. Then we'll come back to Proverbs for some more help. But Since we know that Jesus was tempted in every way and yet was without sin, thus making him uniquely able to atone for sin, let's go and look at Jesus. Let's learn from his anger so as to answer this question of what is anger and why is it we do it. We'll look at two instances. You guys know the first. Everybody in this room, if you're vaguely familiar with the Bible, if you think about anger and Jesus, it's the first thing that comes to your mind, right? Jesus in the temple. His anger there. Let's evaluate his anger there to come to this to the answer to this question. Matthew 21, John 2, Jesus flipping over tables in the temple. He comes into the temple complex. The temple complex would have been a place of holiness. It was supposed to be pure and undefiled, as it were. A place of holy dedication and sacrifice to the one true God. And yet when he descends upon the temple, what does Jesus find? But it's turned into a Walmart. Right? These... Point uh, People are selling sacrificial animals to profit, selling sacrificial animals to profit off of worshipers. And so Jesus is so incensed at this, he takes out a whip and like Indiana Jones begins to drive people out of the temple complex, flipping over tables as he does. And interestingly, after he does that, he actually cares for those in need. Now, what was it that caused him to be angry like this? So that we can learn what anger is and why we get angry. Matthew 21, verse 13 is our answer. He says there, this is Jesus talking, It is written, quoting Isaiah 56, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of robbers. So why was Jesus angry? Well, Jesus was angry because they had disobeyed God's word and used it to profit for themselves. They took righteousness... And then they twisted it and used it for selfish, unrighteous purposes. There's one little piece of help. Another one about Jesus' anger. 
Less popular, equally instructive. You can Let's see if we can identify a theme about Jesus' anger. Mark 3, a man with a withered hand walks into a church service, sort of like this one, walks into the synagogue. The Pharisees are watching there. They're in there. They're watching Jesus to see if he, could, he would heal on the Sabbath so that they could accuse him. All right? So these Pharisees presented themselves as religious people, Bible people, but they didn't like Jesus because he was stealing their glory from them. So they're going to watch Jesus to see if he'll heal on the Sabbath. And so Jesus says to the man with the withered hand that came into the church service, come here. And so he comes there and he says, with the man standing in front of him, he says to the Pharisees, not to the man in front of him, says to the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save or to kill? Obvious answer, right? Someone bleeding out on the side of the road. What's the right thing to do? Well, it's a Sabbath. I can't help him. No. Obvious answer. You go help him, right? But the Pharisees, to that question, remain silent. They know the answer. They know they stood condemned. And look what Jesus says in response to their silence to his question. Verse 5. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. And his hand was restored. So once again, Jesus is angry because people are using God's word for their own profit. And people are getting hurt in the process. So again, taking righteousness, twisting it to be unrighteous for selfish gain. Friends, Jesus got angry because something mattered and he didn't like it. And that's the basic what and why of anger. It's really simple. It's not complicated. Anger is saying, I don't like that. Anger is saying, I don't like that. And the reason why we say we don't like that or because we feel like we don't like that is because something matters to us. Simple, simple, super simple. Or we might say because we love things. Something doesn't matter. Something matters, right? I don't like that because something matters, because I love something. That's why we get angry. That's the what of anger. I don't like that. Why is it? Because I love something, because it matters to me. So from the smallest thing, like someone sitting in a green light because they're texting and they're sitting behind them, my time matters, ah, go, right? From little things like that to something huge like adultery or racism or greed, something matters to us and we don't like how it's going down. Or perhaps it's sunken, our anger has sunken to the level of bitterness, which is undealt with anger that has become like moss on the rock of our hearts, hard to give off. Something matters to us, and it has been handled so poorly, it has made us angry people towards everything or some things. But whatever it is, anger is, I don't like that, and the reason why we get angry is because things matter, or because we love things. And digging even a little bit deeper on that why question, why we get angry, the reason why things matter to us, the reason why we love as a, and as a consequence get angry is because we were created in the image of God. And God gets angry because things matter to God. And so while God is marked by being slow to anger, He is justifiably, beautifully, and wonderfully marked by anger because He's love. Right? So I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way before. But because God is love, He must hate Anything that lies, that cheats, that steals, that destroys from him to not do so. 
For him to not be angry would be for him to cease to be the God who is love. And so God is love. Therefore, he must hate certain things. Therefore, he must be angry. And his anger, though, is a holy anger. It's a pure anger. Now, we tend to assign love to the kind of sweet and the sympathetic. But we should also assign it to the qualities of wrath and indignation. Because to love is to hate that which is opposed to what is good. And so, for instance, I do not love my wife if I permit adultery to invade our relationship. No, I hate anyone or anything. I get angry at anyone or anything because, or that would disturb that union because I love her. And that's good. That's right, right? So God gets angry because he's love. And his love is for his holiness. It's for his glory. And so, therefore, it's a perfect love which results in a perfect anger. And therefore, we, made in his image, likewise, we get angry because of what we love. Now, here's the difference. This is so key. The difference between God and us. The difference is, is our loves are often disordered, unlike his. Because we're sinful, he's not. So anger is, I don't like that. The reason why we don't like that is because things matter to us. We love things because we were, and the reason why we love things is because we're created in the image of God. That then leads to the next question. Well, what kinds of anger are there? We know what anger is and why we do it. But evidently, as illustrated by Jesus and the anger of the Pharisees, we see there's two kinds of anger. Two kinds. There's righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Anger, bad anger. Right anger, wrong anger. Wisdom endeavors to know the difference between the two and properly apply it. So let's answer this briefly, and then we'll turn to the book of Proverbs. So uh, righteous anger, we can look at Ephesians 4.26 and get our anger, or get our answer. Ephesians 4.26, where it says, be angry and do not sin. And there we learn what righteous anger is. It's anger that isn't motivated by sin, or isn't motivated by rebellion against God. Thus the name, righteous, pure, rightness. Holy anger. Righteous anger. God is holy. He does no wrong. He's pure. He's righteous. Therefore, righteous anger is motivated by our love for God's righteousness. It hates the thing God hates. It loves the things God loves. It does not call evil good or good evil. It love, right, rejoices with the truth. And we see what this righteous anger looks like in those two stories of Jesus where he is angry because God's righteousness is being disobeyed for unrighteous purposes. It's a righteous anger. But then, therefore, let's think about unrighteous anger. Unrighteous anger is motivated by a love. Unrighteous anger is motivated by, by an unrighteous purposes. Right? Since, un, since righteous anger is motivated by a love for righteousness, unrighteous anger is motivated by the opposite. It is anger that is motivated by unrighteousness. Oftentimes, guys, selfish gain. It loves the wrong things or it loves good things too much. That's important to understand. It loves the wrong things or it loves even good things too much, such that they become idolatrous. And whether it's anger in the heart, things we're thinking about, or it's anger in the hands, that which it manifests itself. Unrighteous anger is wrong because it comes from the wrong place for the wrong things. 
And again, you see that in the Pharisees who want to trap Jesus and destroy him all the while using the Bible. But they do so only to prop up the true motive, which is themselves, thus making it unrighteous anger. Anger is I don't like that. The reason why we get angry is because things matter. We love two kinds of anger, righteous anger motivated by a love for righteousness, unrighteous anger motivated by a love for unrighteousness, oftentimes our own selfish desire. Third question, who experiences anger? Who experiences anger? Well, the answer is obvious, right? All of us. Everybody in this room. Kids, you already, you're young. You have experienced anger, right? Uh, And we experience anger in two ways. As both the giver of it and oftentimes as the receiver of anger. Fourth question. How does anger feel? How does anger feel? I wonder how you'd answer that question. How does anger feel when it comes into your life? Either as the one you're giving it or as receiving it. Well, Proverbs has the perfect answer. Now turning to the book of Proverbs. Again, if you're new here, we typically work through books of the Bible and just walk right through them. Proverbs, a little bit organized differently, so we're grabbing themes in Proverbs. Proverbs 27, 3 to 4 gives us the description of what anger feels like. This is going to help us know how do we make progress. Proverbs 27, 3 to 4. What does anger feel like? A stone is heavy and sand is weighty. But a fool's provocation, there's the anger. A fool's provocation is heavier than both. Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? Now that word there for Uh, overwhelming, could be translated to the word flood. Flood. So like a flooded river, a flooded world, or a flooded apartment, right? Anger feels like overwhelming flood. Typically a flood of emotions. And they're heavy, right? And here in chapter 27, verse 3 to 4, it's referencing unrighteous anger. And so we can think here about Cain and Abel, right? Where he, being flooded with anger at his brother, murders him. We can think about Saul, King Saul, who's so flooded with jealousy over David that he pursues him and tries to kill him. Or we can actually flip that on its head, taking the same word of flood or overwhelming and use it in reference to righteous anger, good anger. That comes from the Lord. Look, same word is used. Isaiah 54, 8, in the good anger that feeling flooded. Look at this. In reference to the Lord's judgment on Israel's sin, it says... In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you. Nahum 1.8, in reference to the Lord's enemies. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries. And so this image of anger as a heavy flood is very accurate, isn't it? Sort of describes of how we feel when we get angry. You think about that last time that you did get angry. Maybe that was this morning on the way to church. How ironic. Here we are talking about it. Maybe it was last week or earlier this week. It was an overwhelming flood, right? And we know that because what if I were to say to you in the midst of your anger, okay, just stop being angry, right? How would that go, right? It wouldn't work. I remember in seminary, we had to watch this video of Bob Newhart 
sitting down with a comp counseling member where they came up and said, he said, oh, just pay by the minute because wherever they said, he just said, just stop it. That was his counsel. Just stop it. Which, of course, the whole point of the reason why it was funny is because we can't just stop it. It's an overwhelming flood, right, of emotions. We can't just stop it. So as Proverbs teaches us, as wisdom teaches us, it's an overwhelming flood. It's heavy to us. Like a flood of emotions, the burden of our anger is so heavy, we either internally combust or we outwardly burst out at whatever is harming that which we love or that which matters to us. We can even think about the New Testament uh, wisdom literature in the book of James. The book of James, we learn in James chapter 3 that the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. That's just the tongue, right? So overwhelming. And it goes on to talk about how you can't even, we can't even tame, we can tame beasts, but we can't tame our tongues. James 4 talks about the fact that what causes quarrels, what causes fights among you, is it not this, that your passions are at war with you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. On it goes, right? So overwhelming flood of emotions. And so we experience a heaviness, a flood of emotions, and sometimes, oftentimes, we can't stop the anger. I can remember uh, many, many, many years ago, three lifetimes ago, it feels like playing sports and not doing well and going back into a locker room and beating up a box till my hands were bloody. I was so full of emotion and anger, unrighteous anger, right? I can also remember by so righteously being angry and reading about the experience of African-Americans at points in our history that it, flowed, it led to me having righteously anger tears. Anger is experienced by an overwhelming heaviness, a flood of emotions within us because things matter to us and we don't like it. Fifth question, what does anger then do? We define what it is and why we do it. We define the kinds, we define who it experiences, we define what it feels like, but what does it do? Well, this is where Proverbs really begins to take an interest. What does anger do when it comes out? What's the consequences of our anger? Well, most of Proverbs, as it relates to anger, it's going to deal with unrighteous anger. That's what most of Proverbs is doing. It leans into what is probably the more common experience among us all. When we get angry and we do sin. In other words, when we are angry. But it also provides some wisdom for righteous anger. Showing us that there are two things that anger does. Right? So there's two kinds of anger, righteous and unrighteous. Two kinds of experiences, right? the giver and the receiver. And it results in two ways. It does two things. It's either a servant of good or it's a servant of bad. Anger results in either being a servant of good... Or a servant of that which is bad. Servant of good, of course, builds. It constructs good in the world. Sometimes, of course, that anger will have to tear things down. But its aim is to build. Whereas the servant of bad, anger is the servant of bad, unrighteous anger. It results in destroying, deconstructing that which is good. Servant of good, servant of bad. Let's see how Proverbs talks about unrighteous anger as a servant of of destruction of the good. Proverbs fourteen seventeen. A man of quick temper acts foolishly. A man of quick temper acts foolishly. Proverbs 14, 29, second half. He who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Amen. 
He who has a hasty temper exalts folly. And in those two passages, you see how a quick or a hasty temper serves to promote foolishness, which, of course, is destructive against the good. So as we will see on the good side of the moment, the reason why quick tempers exalt folly is because quick tempers are slow to understand. They're slow to understand people, slow to understand God, slow to understand circumstances. So in other words, if you say, Nathan, you are so slow and out of shape, and in anger I go sign up for a marathon that day to be run the day after that, you can imagine halfway through the marathon, I wouldn't even get to halfway, I might get to mile four. My body would be destructed, right? It wouldn't work. I didn't understand what it took just in hasty anger. I went and signed up for the marathon. Well, I'll show them, and then I die, right? So it is for those with a hasty temper. They don't take the time to understand things, but instead they lash out and cause all kinds of chaos and destructiveness as a result. Some of you friends are um, children of quick-tempered parents. You grew up in a home like that. Some of you are married to a quick-tempered spouse. You have quick-tempered friends. You've seen up close how hasty tempers hastily destroy everything around him because something mattered in a way that wasn't serving righteousness and it caused destruction. More often, though, Proverbs presents unrighteous anger as not only exalting foolishness, but also kind of secondly on this righteous point, stirring up strife or destruction. Unrighteous anger as the servant of the bad, servant of destruction, It actually just serves up, it stirs up, it creates strife or destruction. This is so clear throughout Proverbs. Listen to this, you'll hear it. Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. 29, 22. A man of wrath stirs up strife. And one given to anger causes much transgression, causes sin, much sin. Proverbs 30, verse 33. This one is so good, so illustrative. For pressing milk produces curds. Pressing the nose produces blood. And pressing anger produces strife. Strife being bad stuff. Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife. Proverbs 13, 10. By insolence, insolence meaning presumptuous pride, by insolence comes nothing but strife. 26.21, this is another illustrative one. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Imagery is so helpful here, right? The unrighteous anger is like taking wood And throwing it on the fire. It feeds it. It promotes more burning. It promotes more destruction. It promotes more strife against the good. That's what unrighteous anger does. It's like taking taking wood on a bad fire and just keep feeding it. And it just spreads and gets bigger and destroys more. Proverbs 29.8 really brings this together. Scoffers, loud mouths, set a city aflame. Unrighteous anger is the servant of destruction. 
the slave of destruction. It throws wood, it throws gas on destructive flames, and it spreads like wildfire, burning down good things in its wake. Those good things that it might burn down is trust, right? Unrighteous anger burns down trust, hurts it. It burns down, unrighteous anger can burn down a marriage. Unrighteous anger can burn down a relationship between a father and a son or a mom and a son. Burns down family relations. Burns down jobs. Burns down all kinds of things. I've counseled people who've grown up in homes in anger like this. And I've watched people wither as a result of this consistent unrighteous anger. It stirred up so much strife that these people just got burned. They got withered. The more unrighteous anger you offer, the more you stir up destructive fires. And friends, this is important. Don't lose this. Sometimes you are the biggest consequence of your own anger. You've stirred so much strife by your own anger, you're one of the biggest consequences. Sometimes your own heart and mind and outlook on life are the one that gets burned down by the strife that you keep kindling up. And again, this is what bitterness is all about. Holding on to anger instead of dealing with it and dousing it with the holy water of the gospel so as to smolder its destructiveness. But this is what unrighteous anger does. It stirs up strife. It throws lit matches all over the forest fires of our lives. Throws destructive anger, stirs up strife, throws a throws a a match over there and throws a match over there and throws a match over there and throws a match over there in the relationships in the world of our lives. And just fires pop up insofar as we're offering that unrighteous anger. But now let's consider what righteous anger does. We've considered what unrighteous anger does. What does righteous anger do? Proverbs 15.1. One of the Proverbs I use the most in my life. So helpful to me. It says there, a soft answer turns away wrath. Turns away anger, we might say. A soft answer turns away wrath. This is what we learn that Jesus did. Right? So, so, Righteous anger, when we get righteous, when we get angry at things, if people give us anger, the temptation is, is to be unrighteously angry by matching the revile, by matching the anger. Uh, 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 on it goes. Till boom, the whole thing, the, destro- the relationship, whatever is destroyed. But what we find in Proverbs, what righteous anger does is, is we turn soft, we bring the ang- anger down, we turn it down so as to bring their anger down. And this is exactly what Jesus did. He shows us what righteous anger looks like. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. It's not like they hit him, I'm going to get you at the second coming. I mean, he knows that, but he doesn't use it that way. When he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued. How did he get through it? But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We'll think about justice. A lot of big relationship between justice and anger here. He understood that a justice was going to come later, and he didn't need to deal with it now. Which made him to not revile and revile, return revile. Made him to not threaten. 
And then look what happened as a result of Jesus doing that. Him being righteously anger and not being unrighteous anger. Not returning revile after revile, but instead giving a soft answer to bring down the wrath. Look what happened. Verse 24, the very next verse. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. By his wounds you have been healed. Guys, it's amazing when you slow down and consider Jesus' anger. He was regularly threatened. He was regularly misrepresented. He was called Beelzebul. He was called the devil. He was flogged. He was crucified for simply who he was. Surely this bothered him at some level. And in none of these things did he ever revile in return or spew out unrighteous anger. He never got angry out of self-defense. His anger, as we saw earlier, was only kindled when someone misrepresented his Holy Father and when other people were being hurt. God and neighbor, that is what motivated his righteous anger. Not one instance of self-centered, self-protective anger. Not one in the Bible. Even though he had tons of opportunity. He gave soft answers that turned away wrath and so stopped fires of destruction. In fact, even while he hung on the cross for sin and people made fun of him for saying that he could, not, he could save others but not himself, his response was what? To pray. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Even then he was knowledgeable of the ignorance of his naysayers instead of returning the revile and revile. And what happened because Jesus did that? Happened because he didn't have unrighteous anger. What happened because he did give the soft answer because of and not return revile for revile, which turned away the wrath. What happened? All of his anger was spewed against him. And not only that, he, Jesus, also took all of God's anger that are due to fall upon us. Jesus took God's anger for the sins of those that love Jesus and trust him on the cross. Jesus took God's anger on the cross. Jesus took all of the anger of the people around him and didn't return revile for revile, but instead gave soft answers in return. And he took God's anger upon our sin. All the times we got wrong. He took both of those. And what happened? Wrath was turned away. Soft answer turns away wrath. By Jesus taking the, an- the anger that justifiably was meant to fall upon us in our sin, Jesus took it like a soft answer and the wrath was turned away from you and me that believe. Therein we see, friends, the gospel embodied in Proverbs 15.1 that a soft answer turns away wrath. And in so doing, begins to build life. He gave grace and mercy in response of the unrighteous anger. And in so doing, he builds life and light and love to us who believe. All because of what mattered to him. Holiness in others. Glory to his Father and holiness in others. He was able to deflect all of the other anger that came upon him. God's anger didn't stir up strife. It quieted strife down by sending His Son to take it on our behalf. 
Therein we see what it looks like to be good and angry. Glory comes as a result. Proverbs 19.11 Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. Jesus had good sense. He was slow to anger. And it was his glory to overlook our offenses by his becoming an offense for us. And in this, friends, we have not only an example of how to deal with our our anger, but the very power of God for it as well. The gospel is the power of God for salvation, and the gospel is the power of God for sanctification for our unrighteous anger. And so the call here, this is so important, guys. The call here is not, all right, go be like Jesus. He didn't return revolve for revolve, so get up there and do that. How long would that last? Ten minutes? You couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. None of us could do that. Yes, we are called to exemplify what Jesus did. Yes, the gospel provides you that pattern. But it also gives you the power to do it. Because you can't do it. I can't do it. But Jesus satisfies the anger of God. He gives us the example. He satisfies the sin for all of our unrighteous anger. And then His Spirit, by repenting and believing upon Christ alone, you, Christian, are reborn. You then are given the deposit of the Spirit of God to take up residence within you, to give you the power within, to then have you be righteous and angry. To be good and angry, and not be bad and angry. Isn't that amazing? The gospel teaches us how our sinful anger was both forgiven. It gives us the pattern of how to be like Christ with our anger. And thirdly, it gives us the power to live it out. Christians are to be water to unrighteous flames. Dousing it everywhere we go. And then promoting good anger where it's appropriate. Proverbs 29 verse 8. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. The wise turn away wrath. And so to you, friends, that are not a Christian, that are here this morning, not following Christ, I hope you see how unique, how total, and how resonating the gospel is towards anger. It does not ignore. The gospel of Jesus Christ does not ignore injustices or wrongdoing. It doesn't say, don't be angry. That is not. If you heard that, they got that wrong. The gospel does not ignore injustices or wrongdoing. In the face of it, it commands us to be angry. Such that if you're not angry in certain things, you don't understand the gospel. And yet at the same time, it doesn't give free reign to our anger. It commands us to be angry, yet not sin. To even love our enemies. And then we get not only an example of what this looks like in Christ, but non-Christian friend, I hope you see this. We not only give an example, maybe that's what you thought Christianity was. Go be like Jesus. Yes, that's part of it. But Jesus empowers us to do it because we can't do it on our own. So when we repent of all the anger that we committed wrongly, and when we repent of all the anger that we didn't have that we should have, we trust in Christ to satisfy God's anger for all of that in Christ on the cross. His resurrection shows that the payment was received, that the anger was dealt with, and in sending of the Spirit of Christ, He now lives with the believer to provide not only the pattern, but the power to be forgiven and to be angry and not sin, to be good and angry. 
constructive in our anger, not deconstructive in our anger. The goal, hear me, the goal is not to stop being angry. It's to be angry at the right things in the right way. The goal is to be good and angry. Friends, nothing and no one is like Jesus in his gospel. Nothing was so total, so resonating as the gospel. Okay. We've answered what anger is and why we do it. We've answered what kinds of anger there are, righteous and unrighteous. We, we answered who experiences us, all of us, as either givers or receivers. We've, we've answered what anger does. It either serves as a servant of destruction or as a servant of construction. So last question, how is it we get on in this? How do we make progress? How can we be good and angry? Three things, briefly. First, you need a new heart. Get a new heart. Or I might say, get the gospel. Remember, guys, that our hearts are the engine to our lives. Going back to the beginning of the sermon, we are angry because we love. Love comes from where? Not just the head, the heart. We are not, as it's been said, we are not rebels because we rebel. We rebel because we are rebellious by nature. That's got to get dealt with. Unless you are born again by the gospel, you have no confidence of consistently being good and angry. Proverbs teaches us that. Take a look again. Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. From the heart flow springs of life. Got to get that right if you're going to get anger right and be good and angry. Jesus teaches us, Jesus, who's the greater Solomon, teaches us this exactly in Mark 7, 21. He says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, murder. Notice all these things are relating to anger. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, murder, wickedness, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. From the heart. And so unless your heart is born again, you cannot expect to be good and angry. Not consistently. And so it's critical that you trust in Christ, look to the gospel on a daily basis to tap into the power source and that pattern that is able to make you be governed not by the bad, but by the good. That you would be a servant of righteousness. That you would be good and angry. Guys, you can't white-knuckle this. It's going to have to come from God himself down in the heart. I said this last week, I'll say it again this week. We are commanded in Scripture to not only believe in the gospel, but to take up the armor of God in the gospel. I think you're going to be talking about that in VBS. Lauren says yes. You don't know how that is? I don't know if you're allowed to attend, but maybe you should come. Lauren says come. Listen to know how to do that. How to take it up. Yeah. Put on that armor every single day. If you begin to assume the gospel or relegate the gospel as that thing you believed at 10... Or that thing you believe on Sunday mornings. You're you're not getting it. You've got to daily put on the gospel armor every single day if you are going to expect to make progress in your joy in Christ, in your righteous anger, to be good and angry. Rehearse those truths. And so therefore, if you daily go back to the cross, the empty tomb, the occupied throne in heaven, you daily put on the fact that God has dealt with your anger by grace. And now you and Christ are loved and forgiven and empowered to love your enemies. If you can do that daily, going back to that gospel, then you will climb up that mountain and stand atop a world in flames as one of the few that is good and angry. 
slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love as Jesus is. Get a new engine by getting a new heart, by daily rehearsing the ways in which God's anger for you is dealt with in the gospel. Second thing you need is to get knowledge. Get a new heart by getting the gospel. Secondly, get knowledge. Listen to Proverbs again. Get knowledge. Proverbs 4, 5, and 6. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. You notice the relationship between knowledge, wisdom, insight, and the person that is slow to anger? Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger, what do they have? Has great understanding. You've got to have understanding if you're going to be slow to anger. And so you need a new heart, daily rehearsing gospel. Secondly, you need knowledge, insight, if you're going to be good and angry. And you need knowledge of four things. You need knowledge of yourself, knowledge of others, knowledge of God, and knowledge of your circumstances. Knowledge of yourself because you need to know what you love, rightly or wrongly. What matters to you as it should, and what matters to you as it shouldn't. What experiences have you had? What tends to set you off and why? Knowledge of yourself. I love this quote that I read this week. A man's anger is a manifestation of himself. Pay attention, he says, to the character of your anger, to its occasions and enticements, and you will learn much about your real self. Pay attention to yourself or get knowledge about yourself. Sue, get knowledge about others. Think about what are they going through. Stop thinking about yourself for a minute. It's hard when you're angry because you've got the flood, right? What are they going through? What have they been through? Don't assume the worst about them. Try to fight to believe the best about them. And if you can't after they dispel your narrative, the, the, the bad narrative, then so be it. But don't assume the worst. Try to assume the best. Maybe they have good reasons for thinking or doing the way that they are. Get knowledge about those of whom you're angry about with. Not as a way. Don't get knowledge to build your case. Get knowledge to understand them. Not just your side, but their side. Third, get knowledge about God. In order to be good and angry, you need to know what God says is good so that you can be angry at what is bad. In other words, you, you need to study the Bible. right? You need to see what righteousness is and isn't. You need to come to know the truth as that truth will set you free. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. So the more you know about God, what He loves, what He hates, the more you will not only know what you should love and what you should hate, but you will know how to love and how to hate. And as you abide in Christ through that study, He can begin to empower you to reflect that goodness. And then fourthly, knowledge of circumstances. Remember what Proverbs said about hasty anger. It exalts foolishness. So if you simply act without understanding why things are the way they are, then it's very possible you sign up for a marathon without thinking about it. In other words, you get angry without understanding what's going on. There's one example of this in my own life. I've had, in terms of getting this knowledge, I've had conversations, I've read books, I've listened to podcasts, I've prayed about racism in America, and I can tell you, the more knowledge I've gotten about racism, the more I've learned and am learning to become good and angry. It's been a journey for me. Get knowledge of circumstances. Get knowledge of God and His righteousness. Get knowledge of others. Get knowledge of yourself. And you can see, guys, why there's so many angry people. Because this requires work. 
It requires a lot of mercy, as God is merciful. It requires a lot of patience. It requires, it's so impossible that it requires rebirth to do this consistently. But as people of the gospel, this is what God has called us to be. Third thing that you need to get, and that is self-control. Get self-control. I'm going to give you a good example of this for righteous anger and an example of the bad way to not have self-control. So take a look. Proverbs 16, 32. We're almost done. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit, listen to that, he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. You're able to rule your spirit by the power of God. You're more than a king. That's the good example. Here's the bad example. Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. You can't manage your own anger, then you're like a city whose walls have come down and you're all vulnerable and you're going to be done. Taken over in some way. Self-control. Listen to this. Self-control is often the fruit. It's less of a skill, though it does require work. Self-control is often a fruit of those first two things. Getting a new heart and getting knowledge. It will oftentimes result in this self-control with some work. I'll conclude with this. Most of you know the story of Paul from the Bible. He was an angry man. He was bad and angry. A Pharisee of the Pharisees. Things mattered. A lot of things mattered a lot to Paul. He loved religion. Therefore, he oftentimes just didn't love the gospel. So it led to him full of hate. He, he stirred up strife all over the Middle East, going door to door, persecuting Christians. I'm sure the strongest Christians may have even said he's beyond the hope of the gospel. And yet he became born again. And listen to how he explains this. 1 Timothy 1, 13 to 14. Notice the language of flood. Formerly, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. Formerly, I was bad and angry. Formerly, I was angry, unrighteously angry. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So it was the overflow of the grace of the gospel combined with knowledge overcoming ignorance that led to Paul having self-control such that he became good and angry. He would later write in Romans 12, 9, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. He would write in verse 20, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. This from a man that used to make a living doing the opposite. Friends, the same power at work in Paul is at work in you, Christian. We will lose plenty of battles in anger. But insofar as we abide in Christ, learning what to love, how to love, by the power of the love of Christ, we will win the war and learn to be men and women. We will learn to be a church that is both good and 